Hello out there, and welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Kale Alexander. I'm joined by Alan Cole, and it is South Carolina's bye week. And uh, for once, you know, falls directly in the middle of the schedule. So six games down, six to go. South Carolina sits at four and two right now, which pretty good. I mean, like that's, we talked about it before, like probably no one was picking them to beat Arkansas or Georgia. Really no one was picking them to beat Kentucky. Although the line swung a little bit after uh, Will Levis was rumored to be out. And of course he did miss the game. Um, but yeah, you have to be reasonably happy. I think if you're a South Carolina fan at this point in the season, sitting four and two, uh, you got several big tests ahead of you, which we're going to break down some of those here in a little bit. Um, and of course, the next one is a home game at night against Texas A&M coming off the bye week. Unfortunately, they're also coming off their bye week. So you lose a little bit of that advantage there. But um, not a team that I think South Carolina should be overly afraid of or intimidated by. Of course, they've never beat them. Um, and of course, they just went toe to toe with Alabama, albeit with Alabama's backup quarterback, but also their backup quarterback um so yeah we'll we'll get into that a lot more next week but we'll talk about it a little bit today too as always we start the show off talking a little bit of recruiting recruiting um i'm gonna have several new offers uh written out for the weekly recruiting wrap-up tomorrow so definitely check gamecockscoop.com for that um one i can kind of mention is Class of 2024 wide receiver Terrence T.J. Moore from Tampa Catholic. Um, you know, <laughs> right before we hopped on here, Alan asked if that is Mazio Bennett's uh, replacement option. Um, you know, if you go back and read the weekly recruiting wrap-up from last week, I actually talked about how there are several three- and four-star receivers that they're still in the mix for, a lot of them local, um, several out of the state of North Carolina, Um, we talked a couple weeks ago, you got the two kids, um, ship, and I can't remember the other one's name right now out of, uh, Providence day school. So, you know, they're definitely prioritizing wide receiver recruiting, which we thought they would prioritize wide receiver recruiting in this class too. Uh, I think they did and kind of missed on, on several of those, which we can talk about here in a second. Um, and then, yeah, if you missed it in my weekly recruiting wrap up last week, um, I did flip my future cast for Mazio Bennett from South Carolina to Tennessee earlier this week. National Rivals recruiting analyst Adam Friedman also um, put in a projection for Mazio to Tennessee. Everything I'm hearing is that's pretty much going to be the case. And yeah, you, I mean, you got to be a little, a little disappointed if you're South Carolina because you pretty much led in that recruitment most of the way. Um, he's an in-state guy. Uh, and Tennessee was kind of able to come in and, and sweep them out from under you. Uh, it sounds like a lot of that has to do with Tennessee's offense being one that he likes a little better, which, um, you know, statistically and eye test wise and all of the things, it, it's hard to argue uh, with that. But yeah, well, I mean, it's a 2024 guy, so we'll see if South Carolina continues to stay in contact, contact with him and tries to keep him in the mix. Of course, crazy things could happen. He still has three more days before he announces, so we'll let you know if anything changes on that front. But if I had to guess right now, he's probably not staying home, um, which is a little unfortunate. Now, um, one more quick thing before we get into like more of a macro version of recruiting. Uh, Don Staley this morning, women's basketball coach, also tweeted that there is a birdie in the nest or a birdie flew into the nest or whatever it is that her version of welcome home, basically. Um, And from what I've been able to gather from Steven Anderson, who covers women's basketball recruiting for GamecockScoop.com, we should know who that is very soon, like very soon. Um, So, yeah, keep keep your eyes out on that one. So one of the things with the bye week, as we're staying on recruiting for just a second, uh, Beamer talked about how they practiced Monday through Wednesday this week, and then most of the rest of the week, the coaches are on the road recruiting. In fact, um, I'm sure that's partially why Carolina Calls last night was run by Derek Moore and Luke Day um, instead of 
you know, one Shane. Of, Shane Beamer or yeah. one of the other coaches. Um, and yeah, so they, they talked about how they're going to get out. There's still a couple of positions in the 2023 class they're looking at. Um, he mentioned specifically that there's a couple of positions where they're no, nowhere close to the numbers of people they want to be. And to me, I mean, I have to imagine that's wide receiver. Right? They have two, three, and uh, that they're more like athletes. You got Kelton Henderson and Adams, and then there's some question about whether or not Bakari Swain could play on the offensive side of the ball as well, but probably projects more as a DB at least for South Carolina. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, they've they've missed on several of their 2023 targets or backed off on um, some of the offers that we saw earlier. So, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. I'm expecting they'll probably hit the transfer portal again like they did this past offseason um, to fill some of those gaps. You still have some eligibility remaining for Antoine Wells Jr. and Corey Rucker and... Uh, Landon Sampson, who we haven't seen yet this year, but he was highly touted coming out of last year. But you're definitely, you know, going to have to replace some production from Josh Van, who's had a kind of a quiet season this year. Uh, Jalen Brooks, um, to carry on Joiner, uh, also so, yeah. had a quiet season, but yeah, right, right. Um, no, I mean, I, I think it, if, if you can get Antoine Wells back, which I guess technically he could probably make the jump, jump to the NFL, but I wouldn't project that at the moment. Um, unless, you know, that's just something that's really important to him to do right now. But anyway, uh, so Beamer basically was like, I think anytime you can get on the road, recruiting is huge. And this week, especially coming off a win, there's a lot of excitement and buzz around the program, which, um, we talked last week about you win this ball game and pretty much the trajectory of the season, the trajectory of the, the talk around the program changes. And particularly you hate going into a bye week off of a loss. That's a long time to ruminate over it. Um, but going into a bye week off of a win, you have a long time to sort of um, rebuild your expectations for the back half of the season, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit here in a minute. Before we get fully into football, there's a lot of other things happening. We're getting into uh, about three weeks away from men's basketball season. Then we got some fall baseball going on. Alan, um, I know you went and saw all the baseball scrimmages so far. Or, or Not all of them, of but like four out of six or three out of five, something like that. Yeah, they're ramping up towards um, Garnet and Black, which is kind of like the baseball equivalent of a spring football game. I, I believe that's in three weeks. It's later for the first week in November. So they're ramping up towards that with scrimmages. Um, I got to be honest. I know there's a, there's a bit of a market for fall baseball, just looking at our numbers and stuff. So if y'all really want that information, I got some stuff on the transfer pitchers. Um, I was really impressed by um, Roman Kimball, the Notre Dame transfer. Um, saw him go four innings last week. Some stuff on some of the positional switches, a couple different outfielders in different spots. Um, and just some observations, really, from what we're seeing from baseball, even at this very early stage. And then yesterday, I was also at Men's Basketball Media Day, the first kind of, I guess you call that the tip-off to the basketball season now that we're starting in three and a half weeks for LeBron Paris. Yeah, um, which I thought he said some pretty interesting things. It's You weren't here when he first got hired on, so you've only got to hear him speak, what, twice, once at Carolina Calls and then right. yesterday. Um, so what's he? what were some of your takeaways as far as first impressions of him? And then um, what are your expectations, I guess, early expectations of this men's basketball season? I, I see very methodical program building. You know, something you talked about yesterday that is that he doesn't have everything he needs to run what he wants right now. Um, and that's obviously just talking about this roster and how much it lost the transfer portal after Frank Martin was fired. Um, but they had they did bring in a couple transfers. The main one there is uh, Michi Johnson from Ohio State, who's projecting as a starting point guard right now. Um, he spoke highly of him and kind of his decision making and also, some kind of something I heard from Michi and from Gigi Jackson is that Michi was in a very similar situation to what Gigi's in now. I wrote about this a little bit. I think that's going on on the website this weekend. But Michi Johnson is from Ohio. He was a he was not the top player in the country, but he was a I believe a four star recruit. He was like a top he twenty was, yeah. top. Yeah, and he went to his kind of his home school. He grew up an Ohio State fan, and he kind of went through the experience Gigi Jackson's going through now. So it kind of sounds like they've built a little bit of relationship, and those are going to be the two focal points of this team probably. And then the other thing I got from everybody was that 
defense is a lot harder or takes longer to come around in a Lamont-Paris system than offense. Lamont was kind of explaining that he wants his offense to be free-flowing. Um, he kind of wants he doesn't want to like handicap the creativity. But he says, as free as I have these guys play offensively, it's really the opposite defensively. There aren't a lot of decisions to be made defensively. Everyone knows why the breakdown occurred and how to get better. And I heard a lot about tight rules on defense, about you know help defense, about going over or under on screens, things like that. And kind of how – and the analogy Lamont uses is that you can get an 80% on a test, but that still means you failed in this case because if four out of five guys do their job and one guy doesn't, that means someone's open on the other team and they're going to get a good look to score. So it does sound like it's going to take a longer for the defense to come around, but this should be a pretty free-flowing, creative, ball-movement-heavy offense for Lamont Paris in year one. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, you know, how much of his system he can implement with this this squad. Like you said, Michi Johnson was highly touted. Um, he also like kind of blew up on the internet as far as <clears throat> he he's you know a point guard that can dunk, um, <laughs> can do some pretty explosive sure. things. But then but then he got injured, um, and it's inter- it'll be interesting to see if he's kind of fully recovered from that and gotten some of that explosiveness back. Because if he can create his own shot um, and also distribute the ball, that does become a lot more interesting. <laughs> um, because. You know, we talked about this roster a couple times. Um, you're also missing Abrima Deba, who got ruled out for the season, who was an interesting sort of multiple player that could play guard and sort of forward. Um, and they were going to count on him to do that. I mean, obviously, Gigi Jackson's going to be a focal point. Um, we'll see how quickly he can come along as a freshman. I mean, yes, a five-star freshman that uh, is presumably going to be one and done, but it's still going to take a little bit of time um, to adjust to the next level. And then I, I believe I mentioned Hayden Brown as someone that's been banged up, but also someone that uh, they play. He's a senior, super he's senior. He's 24. That was the other yeah. thing. They were talking about how they've got age ranges from 17 to 24 on a college basketball roster. It's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, Hayden Brown is back and it seemed like he was good to go. Lamont was just saying that was a couple kind of bumps through camp. It doesn't sound like he's going to miss any time. I'm interesting, interested to see how Hayden Brown's game translates to the SEC. Obviously, he was at Sill, um, and he's, again, kind of he's what Lamont Paris is looking for. I actually had a chance to speak to him back when, right before he committed. If you guys want to go back and just Google Gamecock Scoop, uh, Hayden Brown, you can see that interview. But he um, is going to try to play that sort of multiple role that – Lamont Paris is looking for where he's going to play hard defense um, and then be able to sort of play forward, although he's going to be a little bit more undersized in the SEC than he was um, in the SOCON. Is that what Citadel's still in? Yeah. Um, and, but he also can kind of step back and, and make some jump shots as well. So really, really interested to see <laughs> how this is going to play out. Of course, um, the university just announced that the Garnet and Black Madness event is going to be on October 26th. So mark your calendars there. It's right under two weeks away. Um, then you can get your first sort of look at these guys. And yeah, I mean, at the worst case this season, right, come out and support the team because you're going to get to see someone that's going to be playing in the NBA someday. And then best case, I don't know, they can sort of piece it together enough to be middle back in the SEC and make it interesting. Yeah, that, you talk about the fans, that was something very interesting, Lamont. He kind of, for those who don't know, Lamont was a longtime assistant at Wisconsin under Bo Ryan. He was part of both their teams that went to the Final Four back-to-back years in uh, 2014 and 15. And he was kind of talking yesterday about how when he was at Wisconsin, there were these 20- and 21-year-olds who had never known a world where Wisconsin wasn't in the tournament every year. But there were these 50-year-olds who would come to the games who remembered before Bo Ryan when they made it, I think, once in 20 years before that was what he said. He, he, the, what, what he said was he's looking for his 50-year-olds. He, you know, he said, if anybody wants to come and just wave a towel and be crazy on a Saturday, of course, come. But he's looking for his people who are going to show up now while they're still building things, which is also, again, going back to what he said about not being able to do everything. He is hinting, both with that comment and with this one, that this is going to be a rebuilding year. This is a, or maybe not rebuild, or just a building year period, trying to get what he wants in, and then maybe they don't have all the horses to do what he wants this year. Yeah, um, 
so I don't know. I'm excited about basketball season. Um, we have recently posted the schedule and everything on GameCockScoop.com, so you can check that out. Um, but yeah, like I said, get behind this guy, support him. A lot of people, um, despite average to above average results with Frank Martin, we're, we're kind of done with that era. And if you were one of those people, yeah, I mean, you got what you wanted. And yep. let's let's see see where it goes from there. Um, another quick basketball note um, from a recruiting standpoint, Cam Scott is a 2024 guard. He just got his fifth star on Rivals um, out of Lexington. Very, very important in-state recruit, especially now that they missed on Jordan Butler last week. Um, he is set to visit this coming week again w- during the weekend of the Texas A&M game. Um, so we'll let you know how that goes and try to get some returns on that on gamecockscoop.com as well. Any other basketball notes you had before we move? Uh, my only, my only, um, I guess, kind of other one is he was talking a little bit about Jacoby Wright, saying that he's probably going to be the point guard along with Michi. I don't know if that means as a backup or maybe that's in some small ball, like two guard lineup kind of things. But it sounds like he's kind of come along and they're interested to see where he goes. And he also did talk about his other two freshmen in this class. You know, we forget that, um, was it Daniel Hankins Sanford and Zachary Wright are also here? Not just not just Gigi Jackson. Um, Zachary Davis. Davis. Zachary Davis. I don't know why yeah. I said right. Yeah, Zachary Davis. Um, he. It's funny. He was talk, kind of talking about them as like the three amigos or the three stooges. I think were the two he used. That they're always hanging out together. They're always spending time. And he seems optimistic about this freshman class, even aside from Gigi Jackson, who, like you said, you have to assume won't be here this time next year. Yeah, and um, Coach Perry McCarty uh, has some connections within South Carolina basketball circles. He used to coach high school basketball in South Carolina, um, and he did reach out uh, about, I believe it's Daniel Hankins Sanford, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But one of the things I remember, whichever, it was one of the two of them, <laughs> which, whichever one it was, um, was that they had really developed their shot over the last year, like their step-back shot. Um, and they're both pretty pretty lengthy guys. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they can make an early impact too. They're going to have to. I mean, yeah, you're, uh, it's a thin roster, pretty thin, especially with yeah. the injuries. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's pretty much that on basketball. Obviously, we will cover every game throughout the season on gamescoop.com, live threads, a little bit of analysis and reviews after the fact. It's going to get really hectic here in a few weeks when basketball season yeah. starts and football is still going on. Um, but we will make sure to have you covered there. And we'll also have women's basketball coverage, baseball, even do Olympic sports updates once or twice a week. So, um, all right, let's talk football. So what you you spoke for a minute or, or listened in, at least on the SEC teleconference with Shane Beamer. Um, what are they doing this week with the the bye week time? So it sounds like it's you you know you what you said earlier that the they practiced Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, Shane Beaver mentioned they had a red shirts. Um, I can't remember how you ordered it. It was like red shirts and players who aren't playing as much scrimmage. Um, I guess that would have been Tuesday because he said it was yesterday during the Wednesday teleconference. Um, he said that was twenty five to thirty plays, and it was just guys who were like I said either red shirting or lower on the depth chart. Um, he wouldn't really commit to who was standing out. Someone asked him who it was, and he just kind of didn't give a straight answer, which not that you're expecting it. But it's interesting to me that they're still trying to get these guys reps. They're still trying to get these guys something approaching game action. He said it was tackling in that scrimmage. Um, I would just, again, I'd have to assume those are a lot of scout team guys and a lot of guys who maybe you haven't seen on Saturdays who are still putting in the work and scrimmaging, I guess, for 25, at least 25, 30 plays, a few possessions. And then he also mentioned they were doing – they simulated an overtime period, which I thought was interesting because they haven't, they haven't even had a close game yet in the fourth quarter, a one-score game, let alone an overtime. But he said they did a whole overtime period in practice too. Yeah, and on that note about, you know, young players scrimmaging and stuff, uh, we're at six games in the season, so we kind of have an idea of who is headed towards a red shirt and who's not um, from the freshman class. So obviously – Nick Emmanuel has played in all six games. Uh, he had to step in on what, like the second play of the first game and has played the majority of snaps since then. Um, so he's obviously not getting redshirted. DQ Smith has had to step up a lot, especially with the injuries in the defensive backfield. He's played pretty well. Um, and, yeah, he's already played in all six games. 
he's not getting a richer one that I kind of slipped by me. Um, Kawan Banks has played in all six games, uh, you know, kind of as a back played a lot on special teams. Yeah, exactly. So he won't get a red shirt. Um, Stone Blanton uh, has played a lot since Mokaba went out. Um, so he's already played in five. And then Donovan Westmoreland has also already played in five, which I didn't realize. So all those guys have burned a red shirt. Um, there's a couple other guys that have played in multiple games that might still. Um, you got like Cason Henry, who's an offensive lineman, played in two. They'll probably try to hold on to his if they can, unless some crazy injuries happen. Um, let's see who else. Yeah, I mean, you got another couple that have played in one or two games. Um, oh, the other that might be a little bit close is Brian Thomas Jr., who plays Edge. He's played in three games and really has played reasonably well at times. So, and they're pretty thin there, so it wouldn't surprise me. I don't me expect that to stick, yeah. If Yeah, if that ends up working out that way. So that's just a little update on that. Otherwise, if I didn't say their name and they were a freshman, they probably uh, are still trending that unless something crazy happens roster-wise. But um, And then, yeah, so they're prepping for A&M. A&M also has a bye week. We'll get more into the, the weeds of that particular game. Um, I know that Steven Anderson said that he's – hearing some whispers um, that the backup quarterback, so they're already down to their backup quarterback, Texas A&M is, but that he got a little hobbled against Alabama and they might be down to their third string quarterback um, next week. But obviously there's still some time for people to get better. I'm trying to pull that up, but. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's just right one now. of those things too, where yes, you are talking about coming off a of bye week, both teams coming off a of bye, but. Coming off a bye against, and no disrespect, that's a very physical and obviously sustained upper tier SEC program. But coming off a bye against Kentucky is just not the same as coming off a bye after playing Alabama physically. It just isn't. Um, and then, of course, got more beat up in that game than South Carolina did in its game. And we're going to see what that translates to once we start getting injury updates and kind of things start turning towards next Saturday once we clear this weekend. Yeah, so this is what uh, Steven Anderson, staff writer at GamecocksGroup.com, had to say this morning. He said Max Johnson might be out for the season. He's probably not going to play against Carolina at the very least. And then, yeah, uh, Haynes King was limping around late in the game against Alabama. Uh, so if he couldn't go, it would probably be Connor Wegman, who's a true freshman, class of 2022, four-star um, out of Texas. So, I mean, you know, it's not like he's not talented, but – Definitely doesn't it's, have a ton of experience. You can and, almost cut and paste the conversation we had about Kaya Sharon on this podcast last week at that point. Which definitely worked to South Carolina's advantage. I mean, I think that Will Levis would have had some trouble with the D-line on Saturday night too because they played that well. But um, uh, there's at least one or two sacks that you can put on Sharon just kind of holding the ball too long and yep. making some inexperience. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, like I said, we'll break down AM more next week. So kind of keep tuned in for that. But we kind of wanted to use the rest of our time to do like a little bit of a mid-season review, look at what has happened through the first six weeks of the season, some of the things that surprised us, some of the things that you know uh, disappointed us, whatever, and then also kind of look forward with the information that we have, have a little bit of a better idea of who South Carolina is, who their upcoming opponents are. And see if we would change any of our win-loss predictions or anything like that. So, first thing, uh, what's been your biggest surprise of the season thus far, Alan? So, you have written on our doc here that I can't say <laughs> Nicky Minwari, which is fair, because that would probably just be the answer. I mean, right. a true freshman who wasn't expected to play, and he was in on the first drive of the season, and he's played ever since. Um, I'm saying the offensive line. I mean, they took a ton of heat after the Georgia State game. Um, they did not play well in that game. I don't, they played okay against Arkansas, but it wasn't anything great, but they've held up well. I believe Rattler's only been sacked once the last three games. Obviously they were opening up a ton of holes for Marshawn Lloyd in the running game. Uh, they've done it with injuries too. Jalen Nichols has been hurt. Um, you know, Dylan Wadham has been hurt. That's both your starting tackles. Um, I did a full mid season grades piece for each position group that will be on the website at some point this weekend. Um, and spoiler alert, I graded the offensive line as one of the highest ones on the team. I've been very surprised and impressed at how well they've held up, both with the injuries and what we were expecting coming into the year. 
And yeah, like you said, after the first week of the season, we were kind of like, yeah. oh no, they're still struggling. Um, but they definitely got it together. I mean, definitely still struggled against Arkansas, but you know, you got two pretty great linebackers there that you're dealing with. Um, the I, My answer for biggest surprise, I think I'm going to go with Jalen Brooks. Um, heading into the season, kind of the forgotten man in the wide receiver room, I guess. So, you know, played through the first half of last season, then had to take some time for personal reasons. Uh, a lot of people weren't sh- like, I remember back in the off season when we were looking at the numbers and realizing that certain people had to be cut in order to get to the scholarship numbers you wanted. A lot of people had kind of written Brooks off as one of those guys. They're like, well, I get, he's not coming back. Um, he's come back and he's, he's come back in a major way. He's the second leading receiver, uh, scored a big touchdown the other night against Kentucky. Um, has really, you know, made more of an impact than some of the the folks that we thought would, like Josh Van or DeCarian Joyner. And yeah, I think it's been a, a pleasant surprise. He's made some big time catches in some big time moments so far this season. He feels like a big third down target. I mean, he had one of the key third down catches um, on the field goal drive that made it a two score game last weekend. He's a guy Spencer Rattler looks to, a guy Spencer Rattler clearly trusts. And yeah, you kind of mentioned him as the forgotten man, but he, here he is. He's right there. Him and Antoine Wells are kind of carrying the passing game right now from the receiver room. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I believe going into last week, Antoine Wells was like six in receiving and Brooks was 10. I haven't looked at the updated numbers from this week, but I can't imagine they're terribly different than that after the games that they each had. Um, what about your biggest disappointment so far in 2022? Yeah, it kind of goes to the same thing you just said, but kind of the rest of the receiver room, I guess I'm going to call it the explosive play factor. I mean, Wells has had a couple. He had the one um, Saturday night on the bubble screen at Kentucky, and he had a couple big ones against Arkansas. We've seen Rattler hit a couple. He hit one to Jaheim Bell early in the Georgia game, but there hasn't been that explosive passing game, really. We're not seeing much of Josh Van going down the field. We're not seeing a lot of Jaheim Bell going down the field. The carry-on joiner, I think, has one reception all year. Um, and then, look, it's – However you can get the ball in the end zone or even with the ball in a field goal range in case of the big drive Saturday, that's fine. And if you're going to run the – we're going to talk about the running game too in a bit. But I think a lot of Carolina fans were expecting a more explosive offense and a more explosive kind of, I don't know, showing from Rattler. And that hasn't happened. And I'm not really sure if it's coming or if it should be the way the offense has been called right now and what's working. No, I think you have to keep running the ball. I mean, maybe it will come once a team forces you to pass it and, you know, maybe Rattler has a good game, but I don't think that that should be your game. We've talked about this several times, pretty much since Georgia. You, I don't think that should be your game plan uh, heading in. Um, biggest disappointment, you kind of mentioned it, but definitely Jaheim Bell. Um, he reminds me a lot of... Uh, my NFL equivalent would be like the way that Atlanta is using uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where you're like, man, this is one of the best athletes on the field and you can't seem to find a way to get the ball to him. Um, right. Even though you would think he creates uh, matchup disadvantages and stuff. And, you know, to South Carolina and Marcus Hatterfield's credit, they've tried to use him in creative ways. They've handed them the ball. They've, you know, given it to him on some jet sweeps. They're running your wishbone. Running, yeah, running the wishbone, and honestly, that's worked effectively in short yardage. So it's not like he hasn't made an impact. Um, but you look at how explosive he was in the bowl game at the end of the year, and it seemed like maybe they finally figured out how to use him and get him um, in space in some of those mix- mismatches against linebackers. Now I haven't been watching too closely with defenses. Maybe defenses have been prepping for him by you know shadowing him with a safety or something like that. Um, but yeah, I was kind of hoping to see a little bit more of him and with how well Antron Wells and Jalen Brooks have played on the outside you would think that that would open up more opportunities on the inside but it just hasn't materialized at this point and maybe that's something that they're going to emphasize on the bye week I don't know yeah it's one of those things where Jaheim Bell as long as he's here as long as he's this tent like none of us would be surprised if he showed up against choose your opponent and just went eight catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns, right? Like he's still capable of the the explosion game against whoever it's just, you haven't seen it yet and you don't really know if it's coming, even though I still think it can at some point. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I still expect a game where he balls out, uh, has like two touchdowns or something, right? We haven't seen it yet. Um, all right. What about your favorite moment of the seating of the season so far? 
Yeah, the easy answer here is Kentucky, and I definitely wouldn't fault anyone who said that. I'm going with the two block punts out of three possessions against Georgia State, return for touchdown. South Carolina hadn't had one of those in more than 20 years, and they had two in about eight minutes of game time to kind of put that one away. Um, you just don't see that much. In fun. And I know they've blocked five punts this year, but to get two in a game and return them both for touchdowns, it just doesn't happen. And that was pretty fun to watch, I guess, just seeing – you know, it was a bang, bang game over. They put the game away on special teams. Yeah. I'm going to give an honorable mention to Marshawn Lloyd hurdling a man <laughs> while he was standing straight up and then running into the end zone. Cause that was pretty cool. Um, I think my favorite moment it is, it's Kentucky adjacent. Um, but I think it's the post game locker room moment that Shane Beamer got to have with the team after the win against Kentucky, when he kind of was able to flex on, Mark Stoops or whatever with the uh, sunglasses and the backwards hat and doing um, swag on. And then I saw that Soldier Boy retweeted it. And then Jessica Jackson. <laughs> I saw, there's a lot of people trying to get Soldier Boy to come to the A&M game. Exactly. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But maybe maybe Soldier Boy will make an appearance in Columbia before. Come the to the press box, over. man. We'll hang out. We'll have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's it. I mean, there's it's been a long time. Nike. One of my favorite moments ever as a Gamecock um, was DJ Swearinger putting like a crushing hit on Andre Ellington in Death Valley and kind of flexing on him. And it's been a long time since Gamecock fans had anything to flex about. So right. uh, that felt like a, a moment where you're like, all right, cool. <laughs> you earned that one, you know? Yeah, he, that um, was they definitely had that coming. Kentucky and South Carolina. I mean, right. Uh, what about a low point? I mean, I guess the obvious is Georgia, but. You know, I, Georgia's the easy answer. We were sitting next to each other. We watched the whole thing. Um, I was in the tunnel after Arkansas, like kind of field adjacent. Everyone's hot. You know, it was an 11 a.m. game. They're beat up. Strawn's down for the year. Kaba's down for the year. They had been, let's call it what it is, physically manhandled in that game. Markets I rushed for almost 300 yards. And there was just a sense of from everyone, here we go again, kind of. That's kind of the way it felt as I was kind of walking down there. Um, that Maybe that's not as, I don't know, demoralizing as Georgia and that game being over in the second quarter. But that was the way it felt, um, kind of walking down and in the tunnel and seeing players and their facial expressions after Arkansas. Yeah, I feel like I personally had a good time Georgia weekend, so it's hard for me to make that <laughs> my personal low point. Sure. But definitely the team's low point. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think that they are forty one points worse than Georgia. I don't think that they're, you know, better than twenty four or thirty points better either. But uh I don't think they're forty one points worse and they definitely didn't really give themselves a shot from the word go there. Um my low point I'm gonna give myself my own little like ding here. My low point is uh, the second quarter last week <laughs> against Kentucky when I texted him, I was like, should they put in Luke Doty? <laughs> um, because yeah, I think that, that was a little uh, me being prisoner of the moment. We had um, the conversation in the box. We did. Yeah. I'll say. <laughs> uh, and you know, Rattler came out, played a very solid second half and kind of, you know, proved that he's still, the guy there. So that's my personal low point. Bad take. <laughs> no, I mean, bad take from everybody. And it, it was conversation. It was on our message boards. It was what we were talking about in Lexington. Obviously, you texted me that. Um, and someone asked um, Shane post game, was that even a consideration at halftime? And he said, no, it wasn't. Spencer's the guy. Yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, I was, I, I believe I said something about missing Spurrier because one of the, the hallmarks of Spurrier was that. If someone was playing bad, he didn't care who it was. If it's, you know, a Heisman frontrunner or whatever, he's going to pull him and throw in the backup and see what happens. Um, but sometimes that was to a detriment, right? That can destroy the sure. makeup of a team and the the mental makeup of your quarterback. So probably best to kind of just give Rattler a pat on the butt there and say, you know, we trust you. <laughs> and, yeah, and you talk uh, about you know, post-game yeah. stuff too. He also – put on his sunglasses when he mentioned that y'all saw the Oklahoma score as he was talking post game, which was very funny to me. Uh, Cause someone had, this was basically the one year anniversary of him getting benched at Oklahoma. Cause that was at red river weekend last year. And someone asked him about kind of the full circle. He's like, well, y'all saw what happened there. Y'all saw what happened here. So I guess it was a good day. 
Yeah, I mean, not to get too far off track, but um, someone on the message board on GameCocksGroup.com this week kind of asked me in the Ask Caleb thread um, whether or not I thought it was possible that Rattler comes back next year. I Which don't. Pre- preseason, I've kind of viewed it in two different lenses where it's like either things go so poorly that he transfers somewhere else and tries again uh, or things go so well that he gets drafted. But we're kind of in this middle ground right now where I don't think he's done well enough to get drafted. But I think things haven't gone so poorly that, you know, maybe he feels like he can develop one more year. I don't know. I think he's gone. The league is calling. There's money. I mean, it's a long draft. Someone will draft him. He'll probably test well at the combine, too. Um, Yeah, I still think would say he's gone. What do you I mean, what do you think his upside is? Is he still a first round pick? I have a hard time getting into that specifically because I'm not a scout. I have no idea what NFL teams see in court. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I don't under, I, I remember when Jake Locker was a first round draft pick in the top 10. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't know what NFL teams look for with these things, but day two pick, maybe if I had to throw a dart second or third round, but that's kind of blindfold guessing. But, and then again, that's the question though. Is that what he wants? Is there a possibility that he comes back and, hopes that he can work that up into a day one pick. Um, I'm trying to look at who the 2023 likely quarterbacks. I mean, you're going to have Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, maybe one, one two, two overall, but definitely top five overall. You've got Will right Levis now, in there. So yeah. he gets healthy. Oh, go ahead. I mean, there's, there's a long list of, at least on this site that I'm looking at right now, uh, you got, Anthony Richardson ahead of him. You got Tanner McKee out of Stanford ahead of him. Tyler Van Dyke out of that Miami ahead of a him. Much. <laughs> Hinden Hooker out of Tennessee. Uh, ahead yeah, of Hinden him. Hooker. He's really raising his stock. Um. So, so yeah, he's down here with like DJU out of Clemson, who you know he's having a, a better season than expected. So perhaps he even jumps him. He's like the tenth quarterback off the board. And he sees a uh, upside of next year. You know, maybe moving up into that top. Five, it feels low to me, 10. But again, I'm not going to try I, to understand what NFL scouts do. I watched a team draft Mitch Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and I, I guess a lot of it depends on how South Carolina finishes the season, uh, which we'll, we'll, we're about to get into. But, you know, if they finish with eight or nine wins, including the bowl game, um, that's a pretty solid season, and, and maybe that's enough, uh, especially if he plays particularly – like he, if he has like a standout moment um, against a top team or something, maybe that's enough to, to elevate him. Um, all right, so preseason, you picked South Carolina to go 7-5, and five, although I think you had them losing to Kentucky. Um, I, I picked South Carolina to go 8-4, and four, although I had them beating either Georgia or Arkansas. I think at the time I said Georgia, which – is funny, but um, but I, I thought that they would split um, if they were going to do that. So, what do you think? We got AM at home, Missouri at home, at Vanderbilt, at Florida, Tennessee at home, and at Clemson. So, out of those six games, they're four and two right now. How many do you think they're going to win? I feel almost bad saying it because I do think this probably this team is better than I thought they would be preseason, but I am still sticking with my seven and five. The way I kind of parse this out is Going to beat Missouri and Vanderbilt probably. As much as y'all don't want to hear me say it, probably going to lose Tennessee and Clemson. I don't think they can keep up with Tennessee's offense or score enough on Clemson's defense, especially if that's a road game. So you're looking at two swing games. You're looking at A&M coming to Columbia next weekend. You're looking at the trip to the Swamp. Um, I definitely think South Carolina can win both of those games. and I don't think they're going to lose both of them. I have a hard time saying they're going to win both. I would take a split there, and with everything else I said, that puts you back at the seven and five I had before the year. But I would not be surprised if it bumped eight and four. Yeah, I think that's most likely scenario. Um, although I think if you beat A and M, and then beat Mizzou at home and at Bandy, which you should, then you're sitting at seven and two and maybe just the momentum itself is going and and the belief in yourself at that point is going to allow you to win one of Florida, Tennessee, Clemson at that point. Um, So I'll stick with eight and four just because that's what I said preseason. I don't want to be wrong, but that is dependent on them getting, getting business done 
at home against AM, which is a pretty big ask. I mean, like I said, they've never beat them. So the AM game, you know, we talked about Kentucky as a swing game, and it was for sure. Again, I said before Kentucky, what kind of conversations can we have next week? If they beat, oh, I guess it'd be in two weeks with the bye, but if they beat AM, what kind of conversations can we have in two weeks? We're talking about five and two. We're talking about five and two with Missouri and Vanderbilt coming up. We're talking about if not ranked, probably very close to the top 25 in that others receiving votes category. They already had some votes last week. Um, again, the types of things we can talk about with this team and the trajectory of the program do change if you go beat AM for the first time ever at home at night in a Soldier Boy atmosphere. I don't know, but with something that's going to be a pretty good atmosphere. And that's just another kind of statement game for the program coming next Saturday. We'll get into it next week. Yeah. And, you know, more than almost any other sport, momentum is a real thing in college football. So I think if you can keep riding that momentum train, it, it will make a difference. Um, all right. What's your boldest take for the back half of the season? What's the the most out there thing that you think might happen? Maybe this isn't super bold because he's in second place right now. Um, but I think Marshawn Lloyd leads the SEC in rushing touchdowns come the end of the year. Um, he's got seven on the board right now. He is second to um, Keyshawn Judkins. I think I said his name right at Ole Miss, who has eight right now. Obviously, there's plenty of players close behind him. You've got Jabari Small at Tennessee with six. Zach Evans at six with Ole Miss. Um, Rocket Sanders at Arkansas has got five. Like Anthony Richardson from quarterback position has five. There's players who can still catch him from behind. But I think the way he's running, what this offense is going to try to do, and the way this offensive line is blocking, plus the fact that you are still going to get Missouri and Vanderbilt in there, I think Marshawn Lloyd leads the SEC in rushing touchdowns. That would be a great season. I mean, he's having a great season. Um, and definitely a guy that should be back next year. Let's see, red shirt. I guess he technically could leave, but I, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to talk about that later later in the uh, in the schedule. Um, I would hope so. That's a nice how about you? What's the bull take for the next six or seven <laughs> games? Um, so this one's going to kind of tie in to the last thing that we're going to talk about here, but I'm going to say they're going to end the post after the Bulls, the very last poll of the season in the top twenty-five. Um, okay. it may be like 24 <laughs> or 25. Uh, but yeah, I think that they do enough over the back half of the schedule to sneak in. Let's say they end seven and five, like your prediction is, and then they win the bowl game and eight and five. Um, I think that's in the, in the conversation, at least for that 24th, 25th spot, something now, like that. Now I got to ask you about one of your bowl predictions preseason. You picked him to beat Georgia and Clemson. You whiffed on the first one. Are you still thinking they can go to Clemson and win that game Thanksgiving weekend? I wouldn't pick it, but I don't think it's impossible. As long as we're talking bold predictions, you've got, a, you've got an opportunity right here. <laughs> um, yeah, fine. Bold take. They are going to go to Death Valley and win at Clemson. That is my bold take. That would get um, them ranked. <laughs> that would definitely get them ranked. Um, I don't know. It's going to be tough. The, it's the old orange, orange crush that um, SEC scheduling kind of had – phased out for for a long time but this was the the end of the season stretch for a long time florida tennessee clemson that's tough back to back to back um clemson's playing better on offense they look a little bit more exploitable on defense i mean obviously it's hard to pick it because of the streak and just the way that they've played against clemson i mean i i don't think clemson was anything special really last year and they still got that game was over before yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so um but yeah, since it's a bold take, I will. That's my bold sure. take. Sure. I mean, you picked it before the season. If you're still, as long as yeah. you stick it with yourself. <laughs> um, I also picked them to lose to Kentucky, so we're we're off. Um, all right. So, what about bowl projection? So they really only need two more wins to be bowl eligible. They have two very winnable games with Missouri and Vandy, and then we've talked about you know we think they'll sneak out one more at least. So where you where you got them going bowling this year? Yeah, this is a tough one because it kind of works. From what I understand, it kind of works like a draft. Like the Bulls are kind of in – once you clear the New Year's Six, the Bulls are kind of in a pecking order, and they can choose what schools they want in their conference affiliation. And you don't know what bowl might think what fan base draws better or whatever. Um, it's a bit of a dart. I put the Liberty Bowl on the sheet. A 7-5 and five SEC team went there last year with Mississippi State. That's an SEC tie again. 
Um, that would be against a Big 12 opponent in Memphis. You're maybe looking at one of the Kansas schools or Iowa State, something like that. Um, or maybe, hell, if Oklahoma only goes 6-6, six and six, maybe you get a Shane Beamer Bowl in the Liberty Bowl. Who knows? Um, but I put the Liberty Bowl on there. But if you're listening, Vegas Bowl Committee, let's make something happen. Yeah, I would love some Vegas Bowl uh, just because then I can drive there and we'll do a Gamecock <laughs> Scoop Vegas weekend. Um, the So Liberty Bowl is a good pick. I would love to see Kansas or Oklahoma in that one. You also got an option for the Texas Bowl, which is another Big 12 matchup. Um, I'm going to go old school here. So the unfortunately, the Outback Bowl is no longer the Outback Bowl. It's the ReliaQuest Bowl. I don't know. What is ReliaQuest? I don't even know what that company it's is. It's not as cool as a giant blooming onion running around. Is that the South Carolina, Michigan one where like um, there was a <laughs> I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. The cybersecurity company. So yeah, I assume when whatever team wins, you're not going to get Bloomin' Onions. Yeah, anything very fun. It was always great to be the Bloomin' Onion team. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I think I'm going to pick that, which would, I think, you know, old school Outback Bowl, that would be a step up from last year. Um, Who are you playing in the Big Ten at that point? Maybe... Jeez, the Big Ten is so sloppy this year. Maybe we'll get the Perry McCarty Bowl if Illinois gets the seven or eight wins. Like, that's possible. Could be Wisconsin. Um, I still think Wisconsin's going to bounce back. Jim um, Leonard now, yeah. Um, yeah, you're probably looking at whatever middle-of-the-road Big Ten West team. Maybe Minnesota. Um, they get Mo Ibrahim right. healthy. Um, one of those probably, yeah, down in Tampa. Um, is that New Year's Day still? I don't know what actually day that bowl is, but that's I think that's still used usually. Um, I know that all the other bowls we talked about are pre-New Year's, but... Yep, New Year's Day. So that's what I thought. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a great year two uh, situation, I think, for Shane Beamer yeah. and the Shane Beamer era. Uh, and I'm just sad that there's no possibility for Bloomin' Onions. <sighs> yeah, that's um, that's a good one for South Carolina. That's where the clowny hit happened too. Yeah, they've played in. I think they've played in that bowl game maybe more than three times. I think they played Iowa game. in one. I think. It's more than three times. Let's see. They beat Nebraska there. They beat Michigan there twice. They beat Wisconsin. No, that was Capital One. Um, Nebraska might have been Capital One, too. But they beat Ohio State twice in the early 2000s. They've been to a lot of bowl games in Florida. Yeah, I think it's five Outback Bowls at this point. Yeah, Um, and there's the the Jacksonville Bowl tie, too. I can't can't remember which bowl that is, but that's an edge. Tax Slayer, Gator Bowl, or whatever. Right, um, which for some reason, South Carolina always is that, and it's Music City or Outback. Or, oh, Music City is a everything. good call. Get another Big Ten team. That's probably again you're in that Illinois, um, Minnesota, Wisconsin kind of range. But go to Nashville. That's also on the table. I mean, if they go back to Nashville, I'm going to meet you out there. I, I do yeah, man, let's do it. <laughs> um, all right. Any uh, other? takeaways from the mizzen point any other projections predictions anything that we didn't cover i think we pretty much hit on everything just um a great great weekend to chill for college football if you just want to watch games this weekend you've got penn state michigan alabama tennessee utah usc at night uh oklahoma state and tcu it's the last two undefeated teams in the big 12 um just a good weekend to not have to watch or stress about south carolina football for everybody and if you can watch other football too on saturday yeah, well, who you got in Alabama, Tennessee? I think I'm still picking Alabama. I just need to see Tennessee beat them before I believe. It's very much the Alabama-Georgia thing from last year, but that's – I mean, it's been 15 in a row. We talk about the Clemson streak. That's it. I don't even know. It's not even at half of 15, I don't think. But seven or eight, maybe it is. But 15 years in a row, Nick Saban's never lost to Tennessee. Uh, I don't know if Bryce Young is going to play, but I still think Alabama finds a way to get that done. Yeah, uh, if Bryce Young doesn't play, I definitely like right now the line is Alabama minus seven. I definitely want to take the points for Tennessee, but I'm not sure if I can pull the trigger fully on them pulling the upset. Um, you also got Mississippi State, Kentucky. That should be interesting. Yeah, think- and that line's actually moved. Mississippi State's still favored. I think they're better, but that's moved from Mississippi State minus six and a half to four and a half, which would tell you Will Levis might actually be working towards coming back. 
I actually um, have it at four now, so it's moving four. It's moving even more. There you go. Um, and if Will Levis does play, that's a pretty good football game. I think those teams are close to evenly matched. Mississippi State's kind of sneaky good, but it's on the road for them with a healthy Levis. So that could be a fun game. That's a night game too, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you're a South Carolina fan now, you're rooting for Kentucky to have a good rest of the season. Yep. Makes you look better. Um, and then you got Clemson, Florida State, which uh, oh, that line's kind of surprisingly low. Yeah, it's, it's a suspicious uh, line. It's three and a half? At, three and a half, yeah. And it's at Florida State. Um, so I guess that's partially why it's so low, but to me, that seems like an obvious like buy on Clemson, but that also, when that happens, makes me uh, a Vegas little skeptical. We don't. Yeah, 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 exactly. The towers don't build themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Clemson's kind of due for another close game, I guess. Maybe they went into BC and handled business. The NC state game was never really competitive, even though the score kind of looked like it. Uh, maybe they go to Tallahassee and, Mike Norvell gets them up for a big game and it's tight. So it's another so one to keep coming an eye off on. of a bye. They lost at NC State last week, nineteen uh, seventeen, I think. It was a tight game in Raleigh. Yeah. You're right. So yeah, they haven't had their bye yet. Um, they actually have their bye after this week. So yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of interesting football, like you said. Uh, top twenty five ranked Illinois, who, <laughs> like like you said, Perry is all about. Uh, they are they're not favored right now, even though they're the higher ranked team. I think Mo um, Ibrahim is going to be healthy for Minnesota is what I've been reading this week. So that makes that more, more challenging. Yeah. That's going to, it's going to be tough. It's going to be interesting. Um, but yeah. So next week on gamecocksgroup.com. Well, actually the rest of this weekend, um, we're going to have a couple of different features on my weekly recruiting wrap up tomorrow. Um, Alan Cole's got a basketball media days, wrap up and a mid-season football like stats breakdown report cards we're going to call it yeah. I, I gave every position group a lighter grade basically um should have some more mid-season stuff uh should have one more article breaking down the south Carolina versus kentucky game we've got a little bit of a later start this week with the weird weekend and everything and then, yeah, starting next week, we will start to break down Texas A&M. Um, and we'll be – we probably won't do a Sunday podcast um, this week. So we'll be back here next Thursday to talk Texas A&M. In the meantime, go to game. Check out all the cool stuff we got going on there. And we'll see you then.